Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smoridge, and joining us this week are our panel of Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, Johanna Hopfgardner, and TQ. This is episode 30, where we'll be discussing lines 83 to 85 on absetson or setting aside. So what have we been up to in the couple of weeks since we last did a recording? Michael? I have been buried in research on Bellafortis, but I finally started writing this week. I wrote about 5,000 words on Tuesday, spent Wednesday proofreading, and then about 1,000 more yesterday. The fun part of writing a paper is when you realize all the research you hadn't done that actually needed to be done. So that was also what I've been doing this week, is discovering all the holes in what I already had already assembled. But hopefully I'll have this stupid paper done by the end of the weekend. So for listeners who might not know, Bella Fortis is an, a medieval text on sort of military technology. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, uh, military technology and to an extent, uh, military strategy paradigms. Essentially, uh, it's a, a compilation of a lot of earlier medieval and classical texts and ideas organized into the form that its author thought represented what modern warfare should be like. So it also includes magic and alchemy and so, pyrotechnics and firearms. As well so as sort the, of Roman ideas of warfare. The the Hema relevant because it makes up what most of lots of the Talhofer books. Uh, so it's about so Talhofer has a very much reduced copy of it in in his thought manuscript of fourteen fifty nine about thirty pages out of one hundred and fifty. Um, which is about 30 pages out of 150 of Bellafortis as well. So it's sort of a highlights reel that I guess okay. he liked. And then he's got a similar war book and another manuscript of his. So yeah, this shows up in six or seven Hema manuscripts, never actually telling who the author is. So a lot of people think that Talhofer wrote it in Hema, but it's where you see diving suits and crazy... Shiny, blinding armor. And so on. Yeah. Cool. It's that one. Looking forward to reading it. Steve, what have you been up to? Nothing really HEMA relevant, unfortunately. Sweet. <laughs> Johanna? <laughs> uh, I'm with Steve here. <laughs> um, I wish I could say that I've been very productive, but it would be a lie. So uh, Austria is in its second lockdown, and... Although I would have had the time to, to research like every topic Hema has to offer, I chose to binge play Skyrim all the time. Uh, <laughs> so <Quality>. I, <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I didn't do anything. I'm sorry. Are you playing a stealth archer? <laughs> yeah, of course. Who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait. I, I found something. I I was invited to an interview by no with by the sword? No, by the sword. <laughs> Some time by, ago, by so by swordswoman. It will take place the day after tomorrow, so it will be out by the time you guys listen to the episode. But I think they are all safe, so if you want to listen to it, I'll drop the link in the description. Uh, yeah, wherever, here in the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that will be on Instagram, and I think they're rehosting them onto YouTube, aren't they? I, I think so. Cool. And a few days ago, it was moved to Patreon. So I, yeah. Cool. Who knows? You can get it. And T, what have you been up to? Nothing much for like HEMA fencing. Um, working a bit on a couple of a uh, couple of smaller projects. Um, I've also been taking a uh, online coaching development course from Scottish Fencing, where I happen oh. to see it come across my Facebook. So interesting cool. uh, mix of stuff. Uh, but that's been most of my brain, apart from work, obviously, which I totally work on very hard all the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. I have done... Didn't fence last weekend because I went and did a, like, adventure race thing that turned into a very structured way to have arguments with your friends while running around a field somewhere. 
That sounds much more martial than fencing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a row game, which is like an orienteering race, and they have challenges in it. So it's like run and swim for two hours and then try and solve puzzles. Turns out I'm not good at puzzles at the best of times. <laughs> in live role playing, we have a joke we call the three the three dead slugs test for designing puzzles, where the yeah. idea is basically if three dead slugs can solve your puzzle, it's too complicated for the players. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently the people that are really good at it are the kids with their families, because the kids like spend all day running around at school and solving puzzles. And so when you have like, assemble this cube, the kids have just spent years training at solving cube puzzles in kindergarten, whereas we dull our brains doing work and getting hit in the head. All right. Tip top. So, yeah, Hannah, would you be able to give us lines 83 to 85 on Absetzen in the original German? Yeah. <clears throat> Lehre Absetzen, hau, stich, kunstlich letzen. Wer auf dich sticht, dein Ort trifft und seinen bricht. Von beiden Seiten triff allemal, bis du schreiten. Thank you very much. And Steve, could you please give us Hazard's translation? The setting off learned to do cuts and thrusts ruined for you. Whoever makes a thrust at you, your point meets and breaks his through. From right and from left, always meet him if you'll step. Thank you very much. Shall I just read out the gloss at this point? He he, he didn't leave, or he uh, translated absetsum. That seems out of character to me. He, he didn't shy away from it. He translates most of the Hauptstücke, doesn't he? Does he? Maybe, I don't know. The five strikes think... you. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Go on, read the thing. Uh, let me scroll there because I'm well prepared. It's quite short, isn't it? Yeah, there's only two plays, and they're all basically the same. Here's the composite gloss. Learn offsetting, artfully injure, hues, stabs. Whoever stabs at you, your thrust hits and his is countered. From both sides, hit all, if you will step. This is so that you shall learn to offset hues and thrusts alike with art, such that your thrust hits him and his becomes countered, and understand it like this. When you approach him with your onset, if he stabs against you and holds his sword as if he wants to stab you from below, then set your left foot forward and lay against him in the guard of plough on your right, and offer an exposure with your left side. If he then thrusts underneath towards your exposure, then wind against his thrust towards your left side with your short edge on his sword, and offset it therewith, so that your point remains standing against him. And within that, step towards him with your right foot and stab towards his face or towards his breast, so that your thrust hits and his fails. Or make a strike and otherwise do whatever you wish if you would like to work with the warring. Oh wait, that's only needle, isn't it? We can ignore that bit. Here we go, another play from the offsetting. Remember, when you stand against him on your right side in the guard of plough, if he then hews towards the upper exposure of your left side, above towards your head, then drive up with your sword and wind against his stroke towards your left side with your hilt before your head in the ox. And with that, step towards him with your right foot and stab towards his face or breast. Drive this piece from the left side as well, also from the plough, but on the right side. So the first, also the, the first blurb from that that you read is also only from a Hans Madel. Okay. Sorry, guys. I don't do my prep. No, that's in Ringek too. What, this is that you shall learn to offset artfully, dot, dot, dot? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine, Steve can just edit this out in post. He won't edit it out in post. (laughs) It is page uh, 122 of your translation first edition, Steve. (laughs) Ah, quoting his own book against him. (laughs) Right. Mostly because that's the only book I have to hand. So, this is just to summarize. No, I'm you... pretty sure it's What? What? what it, what's the thing you think is only a medal? Look at the uh, compilation. Gloss, this is so... 
This is so you shall learn to set aside hue and stab like this with art so that your point lands and his will be broken? Yeah. Um, that is definitely in Ring Echo according to your translation. The part that's in Metal is the part at the end. Look at the compilation. I have it in front of me. Yeah, the big blur right under, right under the yeah, it's settled. <laughs> That's only in mail. Yeah, it's in the Ringek column and the compilation column. All right, well, let's just keep going. Okay. <laughs> yes. well, now so, let's see what you're seeing. Let me find the PDF. Yeah. So just to to summarize, they hold their sword as if they're going to stab you. You chill in right plow and invite them to stab at your left side. They try and stab you and you step it aside, uh, push it aside. Set it aside. Parry it. Parry it. And then you step forwards with your right foot and stab them. Pretty much, yeah. So this is like a parry riposte play? Like, this is a really interesting play from a technical perspective. Um, the really common HEMA interpretation is that it's like a some kind of fancy single-time counter where they do their thrust and you stick your sword out and catch their sword and stick them in the face all at the yeah. same time. Single-time counterattack. But that definitely isn't what it says here. What it says is pretty clearly, one, that you make an invitation. You know, They're acting like they're going to thrust. You make an invitation to join the thrust to an opening you're predicting. And then you wind against that, so you set it off. Um, this is your parry and you step forward, and that's your uh, your repost. So yes, you can look at it as parry repost. In some ways, it doesn't even really say that you're making a second arm action. It's kind of like a parry and then just basically charging in with your arms still potentially shortened, which is an interesting approach to reposting. Uh, but I guess it makes it more difficult for them to free their sword or uh, like take the weak of your sword and counter parry or something. So maybe it's a useful technique for that. Maybe that's a useful way to execute that technique. I think that a form of the of the common HEMA interpretation is not out of the question. Like I think that this could be a counterattack with opposition. As long as you do the opposition, you know, as long as you're not stabbing and then incidentally opposing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the the difference between Counterattack with opposition and parry repost can get pretty blurry. For me, the the distinction is less about the actual way it, get, it gets executed and more about the the like the the priority of the fencer who's doing the action. Right? If they're trying to wind against and then extend a thrust, that's one thing. Whereas if their primary goal is to get their point in and cover with their hilt while they do it, that's a different kind of action. Like it, they're prioritizing differently. And they can look end up looking pretty similar, but the like the the mental uh, aspect of the technique becomes different. Yeah. The other way would be a form of Anzatsen, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right, and that's the yeah. classic Hema Anzatsen is actually the Anzatsen. The right. idea of I'm just going to stick my point straight into your thrust and cover and with my hand while I do it. The the other thing that stands out to me is that in both of these plays, you're in plow on the opposite side of the body then you invite the attack on and they attack to and then you move across well, your body apart from ring versus a cut one exception ah i didn't yes, really ring ring has you do it from the left versus a cut but many people seem to think that's a transcription error or you know a copying error or something yeah that, that doesn't sound right to me i don't see what yeah. advantage you get that's, it becomes a wrong. much shorter action, which is nice. Um, <laughs> working out how but, to make the opening is an interesting challenge if you try and teach it that way. Um, like, how do I give somebody an opening they're going to try to attack into? Well, normally we see these kind of plays from people doing the left side, right game. foot for, forward, and then they both try and displace each other with thrusts. And then one of them gets a thrust through the hand and goes to hospital. Yes. The one thing I think is relevant about the choice of side is that by placing your sword on the side away from your opponent's attack, or away from your opponent's likely attack, you force them to attack on one side of your sword. 
like if I'm holding my sword out here on my right side, right, in right fluke, you basically can't hack me on the outside of my sword. There's no mm. possible way you're getting to a target like that. Um, so you have to attack through to the to the inside. And that means I don't really have to make a decision about what direction I'm trying to cover in. Whereas if I have my sword more centered and like I give you a little opening, you might attack into that opening or you might attack on the outside of that opening or whatever. Um, and I have to work out exactly what's going on. So the flip side, you have a trade-off between making a more dis having to make a more committed action to parry and guaranteeing that one action will cover all possible attacks your opponent can come in with. Oh yes, the broadword principle. You know, like and if my sword's all the way over here, then I have to parry on this side, but this will cover all attacks. Right. There's I think it's Degrassi has a sword and buckler guard where he holds both his sword and his dagger with his arms straight out to the sides, under the theory that they might they have to attack between your swords if you do that because they can't not. For, for those listening who can't see us, T was holding his hand all the way out to the side <laughs> and then moved it to the other side when he made the parrying mission. Right. Vadi calls that post uh, the, the archer's guard, I believe, post to Sagittaria. Yeah, it's the yeah. same it's the same idea as like doing a like a strife or like a sweep. You start yeah, sweeping. Part, so that means they're going to attack higher, so the only way you're gonna parry is by going up. Yeah, the sweeps have a similar action. Parrying from Tog actually has a similar flow as well. Like, you're you're coming down on anything that they do. I have a question for the group on this, um, which is, parrying is not mentioned here. Is there a parry? Uh, in between which two steps that are mentioned do you do the parry? The first step is the parry. The wind? The you have wind to have a bind before you can wind, don't you? Do you? Where does it say that? I think it says that in the winding section. I think Ringdex says that specifically. That all, all that. binds come from the four binds. It definitely doesn't say that everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but you should know better. You're a Ringdex guy. It definitely doesn't I say mean, it anywhere. I think so. my, my interpretation of winding has always been that the wind happens from the bind. If you're just moving your sword around in space, it's not winding. It's so then you could, you could argue that what you're doing is your... But like... Winding can be winding isn't even specifically a sword action. I think you could say that, for example, if I'm standing in my right fluke, I wind, I've turned, now my sword is on my left, um, and your blade has been offset. So what I've actually started doing with this technique, which I like, is is trying to get the bind before I do any winding into whatever hanger I'm going to wind to. So. My plow is what I'm binding with before I move change sides. I will turn my sword towards the action that's incoming and then do the wind as I'm binding on it. I don't know how many how many other people actually do it that way, but it seems to work pretty well. And it gives you better control over the sword than just hoping that your plow on the left is going to protect you. Oh, no, oh, no. I, I, I definitely think... like the idea of... Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Um, like a... The idea of like turning across and then bringing the point back in as you step, or a particularly crazy version, which is actually relatively compliant with the text um, that I got from Travis Mayer a year and a half ago, is to start in your right fluke, and as they thrust, you dip the point, bring it up on the other side of their blade, so their point does a little circle, and you hook them with the short edge and pull them past your right shoulder instead of pushing them off past your left shoulder, and I then you can thrust. And it works pretty well uh, if you can set up just right. From a left point of view, I think I've got to disagree with both of you because it's the way that I read it, it's very much in right plow. You wind to your left against his thrust with the short edge on his sword so that your point stands against him. No, right. I, so, my I'm, procedure, the way I would square that is that I would start with my plow so my long edge is down, and I would seek the bind with that long edge. Well, I'm not seeking a bind, but I'm throwing my long edge and plow towards the attack, and then I'm winding my short edge, ideally as the bind is happening. So the winding the short edge against his stab um, happens after I get a bind with my long edge with plow. 
or you know simultaneously with because this timing is very tight and it's not like you can really demarcate different phases that easily when it's happening but the motion is very much sweeping my point across with the long edge expected to engage and then winding my short edge so would you say you're kind of doing like a mini chrome pile and then winding it in that i'm not cutting i'm just moving my guard into a defensive position i don't think oh, it's mini, a crimp out but any crumb power <laughs> but it's certainly using the plow as a parry before winding but i mean like it's it's not very hard well moving from plow one side to the other to turn your hands with it so that the short edges on the outside yeah but i don't like parrying with the short edge as a general rule that's a weird Fiore hang up. Not even, with a, not even with a sweep. <laughs> what if you're sweeping from uh, Albert? Then do you parry? Well, that's not a parry, that's a sweep. Well, it's still a form of parry. It's a type of frisetum. <laughs> well, frisetum means attack. I thought we'd established that earlier. Right. Um, so I think the I big thing. Which... The so let me, let me be more nuanced. I don't like parrying on top of something with the short edge. Or to the side, I'll I'll parry underneath with the short edge because I have to. But the long edge, because the long edge is down. But if I'm parrying something from above or from the side, I need like long edge. What about a tverhow? I don't like the tverhow. Also, I have no idea. That's is that a parry? What about what about what about the shield how? Is the shield how a parry? I thought it was. Uh, it, it's a versetson, and that's a parry. Steve told me so. <laughs> no, that's not what Steve told me. <laughs> I'm sure Steve told me that Versace and Mute Attack, yeah. Um, so I think one thing which is worth noting about keeping the long edge, like if you're going from a right fluke to a kind of left flugey sort of thing, is that keeping the long edge um, tends to mean your point drifts off to the side, which is helps to secure their thrust into your cross. Whereas if you keep the point in the center and do the classic Hema like turn blade so the point stays in the middle um it's pretty easy if you mess stuff up for them to be going through your week and hit you anyway so that can be an upside to letting your point go out a little bit so that your week is basically hidden and they can't engage it which is one potential upside to not doing the edge change uh, early the bit which the, the parry is i would say the bit which says set off when exactly you think that happens in the series of the action <laughs> it's up to you cool that's fair. So, do we think that this is a high percentage HEMA technique in modern sword sports? I think it is. To, to the extent that people are actually do it, then it's uh, pretty simple. And, I mean, the fake HEMA absetsins that aren't absetsin are also pretty high percentage. So, yeah. getting your point in there while trying to keep them from hitting you is a generally good strategy. Stabbing yeah. a person high percentage, yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah, I mean the 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 standard Hema absets and so okay, so let's let let's follow this uh, the, this line of reasoning then. So we've reasoned that the standard definition, the standard Hema definition of absets as any stab is not correct, right? And it has to be, we're focusing on the offsetting is more important than that. Yeah. So following that line of logic, do we even need to stab? Or can we do other types of attacks and it still be obsessive? According I mean, to Mugle, we can. That bit that I read without meaning to, yep. Oh, I figured out what you're talking about, Steve. In the uh, in the there is a middle part at the beginning of the PDF, but I'm pretty sure Mike skipped it. Okay. And then it's followed by yeah. a slight by a shorter version that Ringek also has, which he read. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess I just wasn't paying attention then. No, I wasn't either. But don't worry. Because okay. yeah, in the copy I have, the middle parts at the bottom, so I didn't even realize it was there to be skipped. That's fine. I'll um, just I'll just uh, cut all that out anyway. <laughs> Uh, so Meyer's, uh, Joachim Meyer's long start absetson, I believe, ends with a cut. Is it a, a short edge cut? Yes. Well, that's what Meyer always finishes thrusts with. 
in the longsword. True. Yeah. So, uh, did you have something you want to say, T, before I talk about your go home? No, go with go ahead to your go home. <laughs> okay. So, in in your go home, you know, I I don't. You guys know how much I don't like mixing sources, but I'm going to reference a different one right now. Your go home. His Obzetsen is probably that and Uberlaufen are probably the most coherent things in his entire text. And basically what he does is he has like, I guess, uh, six obsessions, two too high against the cut, too high against the thrust, and uh, too low. And basically what he does is the pictures are just, you know, the person coming in and him, you know, offsetting their sword with his sword. Both, both tips are high on one side and then on the other side, kind of like a, uh, you know, similar to a crump, like a, I would think of it as like a mini crump. And then what his text says in, in the beginning of it is, if he's soft, then uh, do its fair how to the other side, or yeah, do its fair how. And if he's hard, then work at the sword. So what that becomes is he comes in and you set aside his sword and then come off of it and do its fair how. So basically like, uh, you know, like a mini crump, like I was, I was, uh, said before. That's interesting because the, uh, the crumpow in the gloss mentions Abzetsin, sort of. I mean, it mentions the Zetsin oh, part. Yeah. And I think that the, uh, well, the title mention has Zetsin in it. Krumpfer will Zetsin. And I think that there is an interpretation of the crimp to the flat play, which lines up with Abzetsin pretty well. If you do a crimp but keep your points relatively high, as opposed to going all the way to Shrunkhut and then go into a thrust, you end up doing something that is pretty interchangeable with what I think the text is describing in the Obsetson section. I don't know if that's also how Hans Madel sees it, but it's so you're you're essentially sweeping across and getting that bind, and then you're winding into a thrust instead of doing the the second cut, which is how I see it taught more often. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I've been Kind of, I've been looking at the Krumpau because, okay, so in Ring X Gloss, he specifically uses the word Obsetsum, but he doesn't, or the uh, the authors of uh, Levin Danzig do not. And, but they like tease it, I feel like. They, they tease this relationship between Krumpau and, and Obsetsum. So, yeah, I was looking at that. That seems to be. Go on, go on. That seems to be how they're inclined to interpret the the title, is that it's a, some kind of reference to Abzetsin. Even if they don't explicitly say that, I think that's that's what they're implying. Yeah, the Zettel, and I was, right. ju just right before we did we started recording, I was looking at the Zettel, and there is some like uh, there there's some similar language. Uh, that being, so the the Krumpau, uh, Krump, uh whoever sets well Krumpferval Zets with stepping destroys many hues. So the words schreiten and uh, letzte, which is also used in the Absetzen section. So you have uh, hue, stab, artfully destroy, letzte. And then you have land a hit every time if you uh, want to step, schreiten, at the end of there. So, you know, it's, mm -hmm. not, the, it's not the same text but there's some similar language used so uh, i'd like right. to take action there if we go with the hypothesis that the absets and are all present in the five strikes then i think this is the clearest place where absets is present sorry did i say where the hauptstücke are all present in the five strikes um then this would be the, the krimpau would be the example given for absets yeah. I don't think there's anywhere else that you could really argue as an obsession according to the text. Well, if you go with the Hema way, I think <laughs> Sheila would probably be the closest, right? Maybe Zornhau? Yeah, Zornhau or Sheilhau would be the closest to the Hema version of Obsetsen. Just like the Scheidelhau is the closest to the Hema version of Uberlaufen. <laughs> even though Sheilhau is really the one that is supposed to use Uberlaufen. <laughs> it's fair. All right. 
Does anybody oh, yeah. have anything else to add, or should we wrap this up soon? Um, I think there's a few little bits, maybe. Um, one of them would be that in Dancing and Lev, they use indes to describe this part of their description of this action. Uh, does that imply there's a bind going on uh, earlier, potentially, than the winding bit? I, my, my answer is obviously yes. But... Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, in fact, what they say so is... We talked last uh, time about how indes might not mean a bind. Sometimes. Uh, I don't know. Lef says... Um, oh, yeah, the index is the thrust after the... Uh, yeah. The um, so so you get your your displacement in, and then you thrust them in des. Right. So I have a question about the uh, indes, the abscess against cut, which is, at what point in the sequence do you drive up with the arms, and is it the same way that Hema abscess does it? Which is, I'm going to get into ox as fast as I can and hope there's a bind at the end of it. <laughs> or are you doing something more complex where you're actually binding and then raising up? It's an interesting question. I think you definitely need to get up enough or in some other way engaged enough that you stop their cut just hitting you in the head um, pretty early. But you can either do that by trying to go to an ox or by doing like a sort of crumpy thing um, where you like lift the point up and engage, and then you turn the the blade in. Yeah, uh, just, just going into ox immediately, I feel is a little bit risky if you're trying to do a parry. If you're trying to do an Ansetzen that then opposes, then it's not as risky because once your point plants, now you have you know that anchor there, and it's going to be a lot easier to oppose their attack. But if you're just moving up into ox to try to parry, I think you better hope that their hands are low enough when they cut, because if their hands are higher, they're going to hit your hands. And they can also take your weak if they predict your attack correctly. But, you know, anything's anything's counterable. So, But that's just my thoughts. So, yeah, yeah I prefer... There, there do seem to be a lot of ways... It, there do seem to be a lot of ways it can go wrong if you just shoot to ox and hope. Yeah, I, I prefer to do it kind of the way you were talking about, where I like points towards their cut, basically, point towards where their cut's coming from, and then bind, and then go knox. Passing left, I'm pretty sure that um, that you do go into ox. So it's Husey then. This is my Garbo translation, listeners. Husey then to the left side above to the exposure. So they're hitting to your upper left uh, opening. So drive on with the sword and wind thereby to your left side against his hue, the hilt before your head in the ox, uh, the hilt before the body in the ox. So the winding across is into ox. And step thereby with the right foot and stab him in the face or the breast. Right. So my question is, if that and between drive with your sword and the uh, and during the and during the winding, or wind your hilt in front of your head, means that they're the same action or are they two separate actions? I mean, it, the text could be read either way, for, as far as I can tell. There's not a there's not an uh, obvious I'm, right answer, but practically, I think I'm, one of them works better than the other. The way that I read it is, when you're winding to your left side. It's with the hilt before the body in ox. Does that make sense? You're not your, winding your across. Well, well, you're not winding across in plow. So, why not wind across is. in plow? Because it says to wind across in ox. That doesn't. Wind thereby to your left so, side so against the hilt. The, in front of your head the hilt. Is the typical way. Sorry, the hilt in front of your head is the typical way ox is described in all situations. So this isn't this isn't a moving your sword across in front of your face. It's a ox by its nature has the hilt in front of the head. Um, so that's one well, thing that says the hilt same. before the before the body. Wind with it onto your left side against this hue, the cross guard in front of the head in the ox, and step forth with it. I yeah, you could read it either way. I think. Um, right. So I see what you're saying, that it could be saying that you have to take the ox and move it in, across in front of your face. But the way I see it is he's just defining the position of ox 
as being when your sword is in front of your head. So they do, I think, even in the section on guards, that, that that's what Piax means. It's also in yeah. the, I mean, the firehouse described that way sometimes and so on. So yeah, the, the way the way I read it, and I think that Steve is agreeing with me then, is that the, the driving up with the arms piece comes prior to the winding to the ox. Essentially, you're moving your point across to and raising up to catch the cut, and then you're winding your point in for the thrust, and then you're thrusting. Doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a. I don't think we'll resolve this one without probably interpersonal fencing. Um, yeah. Uh, the a question which I think comes up a fair bit is uh, relates back to Vorenak around this one. This is explicitly an invitation um, as far as actions go. It says quite clearly that you know you see that they want to do a thing, so you give them an opening, and then when they attack it, you do your action. Does this mean that you are? And I've seen it argued by people that either this is a Vor action, I because you are providing the invitation and they're falling for it, you're in control of the exchange and therefore you're in the vor. Or that this is a knock action where because they are attacking you, uh, you and you're parrying that, you are in the knock. Uh, which one of these two seems more correct? Well, if they attack the knock, um, If we follow your definition of chasing the opening or chasing the sword, then you begin by chasing the sword, so you're in the knock. And then you switch to the opening, whereas he is clearly going to the opening. There's okay. there's, nothing, there's nothing in the definitions of for and knock about like who's in control of the. Well, maybe there is, but it's not explicit. It's not, implicit, right? Yeah, I don't think it uses that language or idea. Yeah, there's nothing about who's goading whom into doing what. It says if they attack first, then they're in the four. If you attack first, then you're in the four. Well, there's the stuff about so that you're compelled to parry, right? Like, that's kind of a little bit goading, but it's a very specific kind of goading or controlling. Uh, right, but he's not the one who has to parry here. You are. So yeah. by that definition, you're also in the knock. So yeah. I, I, I think that what we do know is that there's an indes action here. And <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but indes involves uh, vor and knack changing, or is that just modern bullshit? I don't think it always does, but it certainly is often it's, implied like, to. And uh, if I was going to parse this as a saber exchange in modern right of way, left's attacking and has priority until they get parried, and then the other person has priority. Because it's a parry repost exchange. <laughs> unless, unless you do him a single time counterway and you still double, then the attacker wins. They would yeah, win in like, for sure. You failed your if, counter so you lose. If, if, if somebody's attacking me and I counterattack and we both hit each other, who really had the vor? Hmm. Yeah. This, this, the person this with is, priority, obviously. That's what priority a, means. This is a super dumb language game that doesn't tell us much about fencing. synonymous with priority? <laughs> I mean, they certainly are in Ternava. <laughs> Parasim uh, rope. Um, I'll, I'll, about about them using indes, I just want to point out that they also use indes in the crumphow when for your blow from the crimp to the blade. Yeah, you crump onto the blade and then you wind indes. Hmm. And in this one, you are also winding indes. Right, so you're thrusting indes here, Correct. stabbing indes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. Some. But in but the Krimpo is also the only other place where we have this sort of invitation, isn't it? Or is anywhere else explicitly framed as an invitation? Um, I can't think. I of feel one. like I'm forgetting one, but I don't know what it is. The windings, maybe, which is basically the same as this. Uh, yeah, maybe. the DL windings kind of have this, where you give an opening on one side and you wind against it. I don't know if they specifically say, like, give yourself an opening, or like, uh, make yourself open on this side, but that seems to be what's happening. Rex play of the two hangings might have one, actually. Which is also, again, it's very similar to this. Yeah. His, his play of the hangings comes uh, directly from the Abzetsen. He's like, do the Abzetsen, and then, you know, this, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. 
Oh, uh, okay. Let's talk about all the places in the text. We've already mentioned all of them, but all the places in the text where objects <laughs> and um, I lied. We didn't talk about all of them. Okay, so the ones that we talked about were the Krumpau and Ringek. They say it, and the hanging in Ringek. They say it in the Fairzetsen section in Ringek. How you shall hew and stab, you shall find that written in the five hues and in the set aside. So this is when, I guess, when Ringek was talking about um, if he hews, hew also, and when he stabs, stab also. How do you do that? By doing an Abzetsen. Okay, so two other places uh, in the Krieg in DLN, so Danzig and Lev. Uh, if he then uh, sets the upper stab aside, Abzetsen remains standing as you were in the winding and let the point sink down. And in the windings in uh, Lev, it says if he's so you do start an ox, you do the winding, and then if he st sets that stab aside, to his left side, then remain at the sword and wind the long edge to the sword to your right side. So those are all the absetsons in the in the text. Um, absetson is also in the mounted plays and in the armored fencing. And I wish I had. I, I wish we had Jess Finley here right now, um, <laughs> because I, <laughs> I'm quite sure she knows more than I do. Um, but. There is one instance where they describe an upsetson, but I wouldn't call it an upsetson. So it's in the mounted play, uh, <laughs> someone's riding someone's riding at you um, with his sword or a spear or a lance or whatever, and you go into some sort of upper hanging. So your 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 pommel is up and your point is down, and you're supposed to upsetson from that position. And that's weird. <laughs> I'm just trying to find it right now. Yeah. Oh, wait, is that the longsword play? I just had it, but I lost it again, so I don't know. <laughs> There's one play in the mounted that uses the term longsword to refer to when you switch from half sword to both hands on the grip. And I think it's, it's a play like the one you just described. I'm no, that one's to... that one's slightly different. It's against a cut. Um, you parry with the shorts. It it says that you take your sword, and you hold it across your. They like they're riding up and they're going to cut at your head, and you take your sword and you hold it across your saddle, and then when they cut at your head, you lift up and you parry with the short sword, and then you grab your pommel and you hit them with the long sword. That's right. It's a great little play. Lots of really cool terminology. Yes. You grab the pommel, not the not the haft, the pommel with the left hand. That is what it I says. Have... Yes. Uh, anyway. I um, I I find the play. It's in left. It's probably in the other ones as well, but I just found it in the left one. So someone is charging at you at your left side with the lance, and you're supposed to uh, raise your sword up high with the pommel and let the point hang down on your left side, and. It says und sets also up, um, which means and, and set him off. <laughs> yeah, set him off like that. That's weird. So the other ones are pretty pretty similar to the longsword one. So you're uh, oh, if he attacks your left side, then you're supposed to wind up your short edge against the attack and stab him in the face. That's okay, uh, but this that that play is pretty weird. So I wish we had Jess here. I recall just um, arguing in the past that the um, the spear fighting in particular is just an expansion of the Absetsen teachings, and they basically t built their entire spear system on horse and on foot off of these plays, um, which seems to be correct. What else do you really do with a spear? Right. I mean, you can do you can hit them with the haft all Asian style, do it kayak fighting. Yeah, you can you can hit their weapon with the half of the spear, which is Krim Power. You can offset it by turning the spear, which is Absetson. Like, well, also, and of course, Krim Power is also Absetson, so that's fine. Yes, well, that was say, my point. Uh, Peter von Danzig is pretty the real Peter von Danzig, not pseudo. Um, is pretty specific that you should throw your spear as soon as possible, or you should try to. You should try to throw it before your opponent does. Hello, for else does that? Huh? 
Is it Telhoffer is a fan of that one too? Yeah. But, but I thought that spears were better than swords in a fight. YouTube told me. Oh, yeah. When two people are unarmored and one person has a sword and the, sword and the other has a spear, then surprise, surprise, the person with the longer weapon is probably going to win. Everything on YouTube is a lie. We know this. <laughs> Even true things, when posted on YouTube, become lies. Yeah. So th there's an interesting thing I just remembered when when Johanna was describing the mounted play. Does I believe Peter Faulkner shows, or and it might have been Wilhelm, but I might be wrong, has an obsession with more of a hanging parry or shrunkhut position. Is that right? Well. And, uh how do you think that fits into the definition of Obzetson? I, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but your Wilhelm has like lower Obzetsons where he's kind of standing, he's standing like this, and the person's sword is here. I'll post the pictures. Cheers. Because readers can't see you yeah, yeah. posing nicely. Readers? If so, then it's like, you know. It's it goes with the idea of the Abzetsen being a redirection of his attack rather than specifically, you know, going straight for a stab. Um in my in my view anyway. But I also have always been confused about how you're supposed to follow like do do a follow on attack from from this position. Like would you do a schnappen from there, or I, don't know. I think that's basically your option. And then he shows it on both sides. Let me the other side on there too. Let's you could see. also yeah. drop the hands really low and do a rising thrust type action. That's a blade action in some fencing systems, although I don't know if it's ever there's any other evidence for that. So the problem is that in this picture, the guy is standing in a pretty low long point, countering the obzetsin. So I don't think you're going to be able to get underneath it and thrust very easily. Squat more. <laughs> you could try to raise it up over your head with a hooking action, I guess, and then thrust. But you could it's do like in the way. you could do like an upside down mutiran, I guess. Yeah, push that's it. basically. Yeah. yeah, like you engage with the cross guard, you push the hilt down, and you lift the point up on the other side of the blade. Yeah. Here. I feel like that's just going to suck his blade into your body. Push there. It's going to suck it to your flank, but you're past this point, so that's fine. Right, yeah. You can just hold it there. Here, on the inside. Clearly you should do a Fiore blade wrap from here, just and take his sword away. It's not the worst option. That, that would be good. Or just <laughs> smack him with the pommel. Or enter wrestling. But yeah, he, he really looks like he's setting up the plays of Schnappen that we'll get to in the Abschneiden. Yeah. That's that's what I would you know, that's what I would expect to That's what I would teach. I'm not sure it's what I would do in the moment, but that seems like the smart choice. This I mean it seems like the same setup as if you're being mutiran, I guess. So if someone's mutiraning you here and you catch them before they stab you and push it out a little bit more. And from there, my response is pretty much uh, Schnappen. Schnappen is like the solution to Mutiran. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway. Sadly, York Wilhelm just says to remember the gloss. So no help there. <laughs> yeah, for the for each picture, so for for right in the beginning of his offsets, and he gives that great advice of um, if he's soft to it's fair how if he's hard work at the sword, but then for each specific like picture instance, the text is really unhelpful. He just tell, tells you to basically do what is in the picture. Hang on a minute. Did you say he says if they're soft to it's fair and if they're hard work on the sword? Yep. Huh. Interesting. And the reason Big the reason. It's fair on the same side. So uh, okay, right. I'm obsessing, and then if he's soft there, I stay on the same side and do it's fair out. So it's like your little parry, right. bang bang. He adds, let your pommel go around. So clearly, yeah, you're doing a tight motion where you're just working with leverage. Yeah, and I find if somebody is doing a um, 
a, a fast like uh, flesh type type stab and coming at you really fast that's kind of all you have time to do is one two and it works really well because you just redirect and then now they're over here already and you just drop the edge on them this is actually one of the actions i use a lot um uh but I do it from the circular disengage version of Absetson, where if you push on somebody's sword a little bit and then do your disengage um, as they start to thrust, uh, you can often get them to commit to a thrust from too far away, and you just carry it up past you and then snap in a crossed arm action, which will become oh, a thrust okay. if they're a bit further away, or it becomes a cut to the head or the flank. Yeah, exactly. Um, Steve just demonstrated it for our listeners who are confused about why I'm agreeing with something you can't see. For our, for our listeners, Jess Finley peer pressured us into all using video for the first time a few weeks ago, and now she's yeah. not even here, but we're doing it, and I'm forgetting that no one can see us. Yeah. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> I do that action a fair bit in tournaments. Um, I think Jason Barons was refing the time I nailed a guy with it and then did a spin to win to get out of the amount of momentum I put into the movement. But, you know, it was a good time. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do it pretty often in uh, in the free fencing. Most been to win just warehouse forever. Yeah. The nice thing about the doing it, the nice thing about the circular action is that because you're bound behind their blade, you aren't giving people a pressure signal that they're used to working from. And a lot of like a lot of the time, if you push on somebody's blade hard, it doesn't really matter which direction you push in; they're going to try and do a twer howl, like cross their arms into a twer howl. So if you're behind their blade, they can't actually do that. Um, your sword is in the way, and they don't really re they they can't work out what's happening until they slow down and start to think consciously about the situation. At which point you stab them, which is quite a fun kind of thing to do to somebody in modern sword fighting, because you're hacking the you're basically attacking the decision loop they usually use and breaking that. Oh, classic! Trick him into thinking and then hit him. Exactly. And you, can literally, you can literally watch the moment when you do this, when you get when you get this parry on somebody and they're in this kind of like extended sort of left oxy long pointy thing um, that a lot of people do their thrusts in. You can literally see the moment uh, in their eyes when they start wondering why their attempted for how isn't going anywhere and try to think about what the blade engagement actually is. And then as soon as you see that, you hit them. It's really funny. Nice. All right. Talking about disengages, we record an episode on them. I, I want to say one more thing about Absetson. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the word Trift in the Zettel. Um, Dein Ort Trift und Seinenbricht. This is typically translated by people as your point lands, but it's a word that's mostly used for footwork, I think. And it's not the normally physically hitting with the point is referred to as planting like onsets. Um, I think, uh, and they haven't you, used that here at all. Before you go on, are you sure you're not thinking of uh, trit with a T? Uh, yeah. It's definitely trift in 44A8. Yeah, yeah. So, so the word here is, but elsewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, maybe. Trift doesn't mean step at all. It means I'm not great at German. <laughs> I translated it as touch because I'm just a dirty fencer. But yeah, I think it's even if it's not also meaning step, um, it's still one of the only times this word is used to mean making contact and possibly one of the only times this word is ever used. I think trethin appears more than once or twice, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, I it's feel you... like I've seen it a lot. Fair enough. I'm just wrong. A few times to uh, indicate that you're making contact with their sword. I could also be thinking of 3227A, which has, you know, the numbers break down differently. It, it appears in the Zuken section of the Zettel. Yeah. Uh, it appears in the the fa double fader. Uh, the fader. Those are both about contacting the sword then, right? No, no, no. They're all about stabbing the dude. <laughs> Um, so, for example, fellas weifasht trift mandensch snid mit mascht. So, uh, I translate it as failure twice, hit you the slice with force. Or, yeah, fair enough. Um, 
but it's an interesting little word. And also the fact that there isn't a description of an arm extension really happening here is a, an interesting kind of way to approach the thrust or repost. It looks more like a, a thrust with shortened arms. Off of work action. Uh, we also see uh, Triffet way back in the general lessons when it's like, listen to what's bad. Fen don't fence left if you're right. And then the gloss of that starts with, this is a good lesson in Triffet and Einan Lincoln and touches on a lefty. Hmm. So the lesson's doing the, the triffin in. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so I have, I guess, one more question before we wrap up. And it's, I guess, a little bit of, what is the difference between Absetzen and Fersetzen? Fersetzen and Fersetzen. To be honest with you, when I woke up uh, quarter to seven this morning and started recording this episode, I'd forgotten that they were separate things. I thought this was another episode on Versetzen. <laughs> right. In in modern German, they're fairly synonymous, aren't they? To the extent that they're used. Pooh. Huh. Joey. Joey, are you still awake? Yes, I am. I, I'm thinking <laughs> about it. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say so, but like I, I am corrupted by my uh, idea of upsets and being this modern uh, single tempo upsets, and so I, I am still a bit confused because uh, at this point I think uh, upsets and fair sets and is pretty pretty similar, um, especially now as I read through the pony place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the one like looking just at the words the like versets has more of a sense of like mm, well misplace obviously is my favorite translation as opposed to like place off or set off or you know put somewhere else one's misplace and one's displace and gg but just in general like the idea of taking something and moving it to a different place versus the idea of generally setting up a wrong position or a bad a uh, bad position i think are kind of a little bit different um, it's pretty. It's pretty simple to me. Clearly, Fazetson is an attack, and Obzetson is a parry. If only, if only it were so simple. <laughs> if only we had the four Absetsons. Am I wrong? <laughs> Instead of the four Versetsons, then everything would be easier. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of considered maybe. Well, I think I. So what I do think is that Fazetson is more broad of a term. Yeah. One thing that I did think that I don't think so much anymore is that Obsetzen is always like a redirection rather than a block. But if you think about the um, Obsetzen in Ox, that's pretty much a straight block, right? They're blocking their sword in Ox and then stabbing him. Travis has a version of that where you do a circular action and come behind their blade again. Yeah, I guess. Um, that's kind of wild. It is kind of wild, but it actually works. Obsetson seems to always imply a fairly static obstruction, or at least a hard obstruction, whereas Fezetson is wishy-washy. I'm, I'm going to go proper wild now. No, it's not proper wild, it's just mild. <laughs> Absetson is when you stop an attack, whereas Versetson is any time that you break their intention. Hey, what do you think? That's actually pretty good. I quite like that. I've got absolutely no justification for it. <laughs> the woman who's translating Talhofer for me right now has decided in the end to render Fezetzen as counter or countering action uh, because the use cases just don't really agree on a single clear English explanation. And it splits the difference between the offensive and defensive aspects. In all cases, you're countering something. Yeah. I quite like the idea of upsets and being about defeating an attack, whereas versus is about attacking, like, messing with their intention. Um, that's a pretty solid breakdown, I think, of the way I would think about the two of them. Because they're like... And they can obviously overlap, especially with the Krimpow. But most of the time... 
one is potentially more about dealing with somebody's plan or longer term thing. Like, whereas Absetson, I think actually one other thing to note about it is that it's against a direct attack. It's not a, it's not shown as an action against a compound attack or a, a plan or a feint or anything. It's very much I give you an opening for you to attack directly into, and then I act on that. Well, if I'm versetting against your attack out of a guard, your attack might well be a, the first part of a compound action. And I'm going to, oh, yeah. like, my plan is to not just deal with the attack, but to prevent you from changing through and stop the whole plan from working. So that is a, an interesting, a good way to look at the difference. I quite like it. Right. Guys, it's been nearly an hour of recording now. I want to wrap up. Uh, I have one more thing. <laughs> Go for it. Which is, there's a couple of objects and related plays in Spire that, that are worth mentioning because they're weird. They want, I don't think this will be a big discussion. There's also, so there's, and one in the Striken, which is the, uh, the strange word Nea, which sometimes is translated as things like nearing or after Nach, and sometimes is translated as the boat. But it's sort of a play where you're moving back and forth from plow to plow trying to find an object as you close. And that's an interesting way of setting it up. Um, the boat. But you rock it. There's also, what? The boat is great. You just like yeah, you're from, from side plow. to side. Doesn't it say yeah. that you wind from side to side, but it's not a bind? So clearly this means that you can wind from plow to plow without a bind. On a boat. Right. It depends on if you think we're talking capital W winding or lowercase w winding. Because winding so also just makes turning. Yeah, I do at this point. But if so, the winding in a technical sense and winding in a German has words sense, and we have to figure out which one is meant in all cases. But uh, anyways, there's no such thing as a technical meaning. <laughs> the strange, <laughs> no, it is. It's in the it's in the list of Hauptstück I checked. Um, so the, the weirder version of winding of Abhetsch we have is an extra bit in the treatise of Hans von Speyer that's tacked on to Lev's description. And he see, and I can't a hundred percent parse what his idea here is. But he seems to be describing standing in Fomtag or in Alber and then popping into a hangar on the same side, followed by a wind into what we would call an Obzedsen. So from Vomtag, you go to your right ox and then wind to left ox and thrust. Whereas from Alber, you pop into plow, he doesn't give a side, and then you Obzedsen thrust. So in both cases, it's like if you're being cut, I don't know. I don't imagine you're being caught unaware if you're in a if you're in a proper guard and about to attack. Does he, he say Vexel here from the Vexel house? He does. He says Vexel. My my brain converted that to the Lichtenauer term. But yeah, right. so your Vexel would be the low guard with the point to the side, in Meyer at least. And he tells you from standing in there, he actually says from the Vexel how, which is a funny way to describe a guard. Then you basically do a strike in into plow and then immediately flow into your obsession. So in from from high and low guards, he tells you you can totally just shoot into a hangar and then work the obsession plays. I don't know why the hangar has to come first, but he thinks it does. It seems like doing a crimp from Vumtag onto the blade would be faster and easier than going to one ox on the other ox, but I'm no fencing master, so what do I know? Okay. I, I have you reminded me of one more thing that I, <laughs> that I forgot about. The Dresden law. He talks about the objects in the Dresden laws. This is the Oh yeah, that is important. Yes. This is the anonymous Dresden gloss, not the Dresden Ringick. You shall also perform beautiful set asides upon hues or stabs as you have been instructed about them so that you do not move too crudely after them, and so that your point is against his face at all times, ready to thrust. And he, if he strikes onto the other side from your set-aside, do not move after him and wind like you also want to set aside on the other side, and remain and thrust so you have parried, and he must save himself from your thrust, so you again come to your work. Right, so, so this is part of the Dresden gloss of the Krumpau. And a pretty direct tie to Absetson from the Krumpa, right? It does. Yes, it comes right after he talks about the Krumpa, yeah. That's it, because this gloss only has three things in it, Zornhau, Krumpa, and Absetson. Yeah. 
Right, so, but he doesn't quote the verse for the Abzadzin, which is why I assume it goes to the verse that he did quote, but it's hard to say for sure. He doesn't yeah. really quote much verse for anything yeah. that I recall. He quotes, well, he quotes two, two Zornhau couplets and one Primpau couplet. What else do you need? That's the whole gloss. That's the well, whole art. Uh, be that as it, as it may, he admonishes us to do beautiful Abzadzins. This guy definitely wants you to do the classic keep your point very much in the middle thing, which is interesting. It seems to be that way. If if mm -hmm. my reading of this is correct. Yes. But uh, anyway, just thought that that was needed to bring that up. Right. We could we could quibble about what what when a blade is towards his face and when it stops being towards his face, but I generally read such advice as not precluding taking your point slightly offline as long as it's still forward. Yeah. That's just me, though. That's based on Fiji 27A, which is not part of this discussion. The, fur the further away, the less beautiful. The <laughs> more <crude>. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 HEMA, the HEMA easy to collapse parry with the point straight forward is the best one. Is the, right. the most beautiful, sorry. Yeah. Well, it definitely Very becomes... That is something where actually making sure they're already mostly committed to an attack and doing your action very late uh, lets, makes keeping the point in the center much safer. Whereas the earlier you want to do your action, the more you want to get the point slightly off to the side. In modern fencing, there's an interesting variation between the, I think it's the French and the Russian styles of parrying, where the, the French style keeps the breaks the wrist and keeps the point in, and the Russian style keeps the wrist straight so the point goes like off to the side. And the French style is more classical and pretty and very nice for like very late parries and elaborate blade work. You can and just... the Russians get the medals? And the Russians get the medals, yes. <laughs> uh, so from that, we can, we can conclude that what Dresden means by beautiful is broken-wristed. Well, he means hanging, right? Yes, hanging French. means angling the point in. He means that French fencing is the best. I get it. You don't, you don't have to break your, your wrist with a... Uh, with, with a, a two-handed two sword. Sword, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Only with a shuttle, huh? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> True. On that note, I think we might have finally exhausted this. Yeah. Alright. But that shuttle, how if you if you try to do the classic Hema Abzetsen against that shuttle, how you're going to get hit in the hands. Same. So you have to do the cursed Bulgarian shuttle, huh? Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lishan Hammer Longsword Glosses. I've been your host, Mike Swaridge, and joining us this week have been Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner. Thank you for listening. One more point. Mm -hmm.